Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Tuesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street. My name is JJ Jackson. Inside the studio with me today, I've got my good buddies Ryan Lavoy and Brooks Childress, and we've got a really fun show planned for you. Coming up, we'll chat with Ben Ingram, the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves. What a win last night for Atlanta, 13-1, the final score against the New York Mets. We continue our SEC football previews today. We've got LSU and Georgia due up today. That means Auburn and Alabama are tomorrow. And then coming your way on Thursday, a really fun college football superlative edition of the Sports Call Show uh, with Ryan LaVoy in the host chair as Auburn soccer is getting ready to kick off their season on Thursday. That's where I will be. I will not be here on Thursday. I'll be over on campus for the first soccer game of the season for Kieran Hoppe and her squad as the Tigers host Old Dominion. So uh, also in the final hour of today's program, Kyle Petty is going to be on our program as we've been promoting. He's got a new book coming out, Swerve or Die. We talk about that book and also the NASCAR season so far a little bit later in the program. Birthdays and a nightly TV guide, the usual things on the program. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing really good. And uh, yeah, uh, it was great to see the Braves last night uh, be able to win 13 to 1 against the Mets. Uh, they really smoked New York, and they had to do that. And look, it's still about winning three out of four because they have to win the series. They can't split with New York and reasonably expect to catch them. Mets are on 100 win pace. But, you know, if they can win three out of four and win these games demonstratively like that, you know, that can be momentum changing. And look, the Braves immediately, um, after having such a bad series in New York last weekend, they really got back on it and and i give them a lot of credit for that because they lose four of five in new york and i'm over here saying the they're just they're done i'm just saying the mets are mets got them and they immediately have rang off seven in a row and six of those on the road and yeah boston's slightly below 500 and yeah the marlins are not great but it's baseball, man, and, and you lose four out of five, that can easily turn out a seven out of eight or, or eight out of ten. And so for them to correct themselves uh, has me feeling really good. And uh, a big performance last night. Again, they got to do it at least two more times out of three here in these next three days. But uh, it gives them something to work with and, and gets them back on the right track as they play a really good Mets team. You just really wanted that win to be more than just one game right? because it's such a wide margin, 13-1. to one. That sixth inning in particular where Atlanta scored a million runs, uh, it was just a hit parade. They passed the baton down the order. Everybody was stepping up with a big hit for the Braves last night and in that sixth inning in particular. And then the game goes final, and it's 
Braves are still four and a half games back. Yeah, we you added one or you subtracted one from the total. But but again, look, it, it, if you can win again tonight, you can look back at, at last night and say it was a tone setter because you because look, you're, you're an important point here is I think they've got after that one they've got either six or seven more against them. I think it's six more. I think they have these final three and then another three game series. But they're all at Truist Park. So if you if you just want to do some math here, okay, four and a half back now. You win two of these next three, you cut the three and a half back, okay? You win two of those three, it's two and a half. Okay, now all of a sudden you're within that range where both teams, you know, Mets need to play well. You know, if the Braves rattle off, I don't know exactly how many games they got, but, but let's say they go 30, you know, I don't know, 33 and 17 in their last 50 or something. Well, the Mets need to go 31 and 19. They need to have a good record at that point. Um, but if you lose another series or if you only split this series, then you're just having to you're having to rely on so many teams to beat the Mets. And, you know, I haven't we haven't gotten so down to the point where I'm like looking over every series because we still do have around 50 games left. I'm not like, well, you know, this series at the second week of September. I just got the official number. It uh-huh. is kind of a milestone marker number uh-huh. left in the season, but there are 45 games officially remaining okay. in the Braves 2022 season. So, wow, for only you know, 45 you, games left for the Braves this year. So, you, you know, you go 30 and 15, you put a lot of pressure on and and the Mets have to go 27 or 28 and uh, and uh, 17, I guess that would be if you're able to win these two series, you finish the three out of four at least. And look, obviously, sweep can be in play. Mets are a good team. It's never something you got to rely on. You got to set goals, and just the goal is to win these series. And look, that four out of five in New York hurt them a lot. Like I said, I, I'm on record as saying that I thought that was that was going to be it. It might still ultimately be it. The Mets might come back and at least tie the series up and. Braves don't gain any ground out of this week, and then you're really talking about missed opportunities. But um, it was important to not kind of eke it out. Something that happened in New York was they got off to really bad starts, and they were talking a little bit about this on the broadcast last night. They were behind in every game. It felt like every game the Mets got out to like a three, four, five-run lead in the first three or four innings. And you just can't play from behind like that all the time, um, even clutch teams. And so what would happen is like Mets be up like 5-1 or 6-1, and Braves would score a couple in the middle innings, kind of get hang around 6-4, 6-3, 5-3, and then they wouldn't be able to push enough across. So, again, these the starts of these games are pivotal, and so to get – it started last night before the rain delay. It was already 3 nothing, And so that that sets a tone, and that's what you can do at home and really get that feed off that momentum. So uh, the original question, I'm doing great because the Braves got a much-needed a demonstrative victory last night at Truist Park, and, and hopefully they can – have a really good week against the Mets this week. No kidding. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 888 9 if you would like to call in and be a part of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Again, coming up today at 3.30, we are going to chat with Ben Ingram, the radio play-by-play voice of the Braves, to talk about their big win over the Mets because they were great last night. 13-1, to the final score for the Atlanta Braves. We're hoping to have a similar outcome tonight as we've got the final game of the regular season 
season for the Thunder Chickens, our beloved softball team. Last game of the regular season coming up tonight for the Thunder Chickens. Let's go to our phone lines for the first time today, 334-887-3401. And joining us now on the program, James from Montgomery. James has called into the show today. Hi, James. Hello, and War Eagle. War Eagle, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I've got some uh, Alabama football news. Do you think that Nick Saban is going to retire at the end of the season, or do you think he still have enough uh, coaching uh, left in him before uh, the 2022 season um, wraps up? Boy, I tell you, it seems like we're getting closer to the end of the Nick Saban coaching career, but I think he could go a few more years after this. I don't know how many in particular, but I do think we're nearing the end of his coaching career. What are you hearing? What are your sources telling you? Um, well, with me being an Auburn fan, I think it's time for him to actually, um, you know, retire and just, you know, you know, just live live a good a good uh, life from coaching the Alabama Crimson Tide football team and, you know, spend some time, you know, fishing or, you know, going out, you know, in his boat, you know, just to just to actually have a, a nice uh, retirement, you know, and, and just leave um, college football to some of the great experts that, that might want to come and, and coach at the University of Alabama. Yeah, whoever's the coach right after them, they've got a really difficult job that they would have to uh, take over and that sort of thing. Look, Nick Saban will not be the Alabama coach 10 years from now. I would be stunned if that were to be the case. But I don't know, five years possibly. We'll see. We're we're definitely uh, counting down the, the latter days of his coaching career there for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, and then with their schedule, I was looking at their upcoming schedule for the 2022 season and then their overall uh, winning record would be eight and zero, and that would be twelve wins under their. Um, on that would be twelve wins under Coach uh, Nick Saban's uh, coaching career as well. So I don't know if that's going to be possible because I mean with Alabama they do have a tough schedule this year so I think it's not going to be a 12 and 0 run so I don't I don't see I don't see the the um the add up there with 12 wins with Alabama yeah, you're right. I mean, look, we'll have to see what the season looks like. I think Alabama is going to be really good. They've got a couple of tough games uh, throughout their schedule, as they always do. A lot of people want to see that A&M game coming up on October 8th for Alabama football, of course. You always talk about the Iron Bowls and the LSU games on their schedule, too. So uh, we'll have a little bit more of an in-depth Alabama preview coming up on tomorrow's show. But you got to be uh, pretty optimistic if you're a Crimson Tide fan this season. Yeah, because I'm an Auburn fan, so I'm like rooting against uh, against Alabama as well. And then plus with Georgia and Oregon, I have Georgia favorite to win against or- uh, against Georgia this year. So I think that's going to be a really good win to see Bo Nix actually play uh, with the Oregon Ducks as well. And maybe I might see them actually playing in Atlanta. Maybe. Oregon and Auburn, a good matchup, a good rivalry between the Oregon Ducks and the Auburn Tigers once again. Yeah, we played them in the 2010 National Championship game. We played them in 2019. Bo Nix was the quarterback for Auburn when they played against Oregon last time. So maybe, just maybe, we will uh, we'll see something similar. 
Yes, as well, because, I mean, with Auburn uh, schedule, I mean, we're looking like we're going to win the first three games of our season, so I think that's going to be a good thing, and to see what uh, Zach Calzada is going to do. So I just have to see um, what what Coach Harson is actually going to – who who is he going to start week one? So I'm very excited to see who they're going to start week one as well. Same. I'm really excited to see who's that starting quarterback. We heard yesterday from Bennett Durando of the Montgomery Advertiser. It feels as though it's 50-50 right now between Finley and Calzada. The second scrimmage for Auburn football this fall camp will be on Friday. That'll be another big measuring stick for the program. So we'll see how things change as the weekend approaches. Yes. And then with week two of the preseason of the NFL, who do you see actually winning uh, this second week on uh, Saturday and Sunday as well? Who do you see actually coming out on top of week two on the NFL season? Well, do you have any games in particular, James, that are jumping out to you? I'll be honest, I haven't paid much attention to the preseason schedule as much. I know that the Falcons don't play again until next Monday, but are there any games in particular that you're interested in? Um, I'm interested in seeing, I'm looking at in the preseason for week two, I'm actually looking at Tampa Bay and Tennessee. I'm actually looking at that game really closely as well and seeing if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are actually going to win on um, preseason, uh, in the second preseason of the NFL as well. I'm looking at Panthers Patriots. It's my Panthers versus Brooks's Patriots. So uh, it's a preseason game and maybe I'll be able to beat Brooks Childress's team. Yes, because I do have the uh, Carolina Panthers actually winning. There you go. One. How about that, Brooks? Ah. And and actually, that one is a rematch of the Super Bowl that you all actually played years ago. Yeah, back in 2003, a long time ago for a rematch. Yes, as well. And maybe I could see the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. So I just have to, I'll just have to see and wait to see who's going to actually um, get that Super Bowl run when the regular season uh, comes in on September the 8th as well. You know, it's a very similar question that you asked about Nick Saban a little bit earlier, James. But I'm curious, how many years left is Bill Belichick? going to be coaching the New England Patriots because he's getting up there in age. He's been doing it a really long time, and maybe one day he'll want to walk away. He is 70 years old. Mm-hmm. How much longer do you think Bill Belichick wants to coach? Um, I'll... <laughs> think we lost james there all right good to hear from james right there that's james from montgomery joining us on our auburn bank phone line talking about how much longer nick saban could be in the spot both saban and belichick brooks are 70 years old i mean yeah um you know a decade from now i don't think they're both still coaching football you wouldn't think you wouldn't think i think a lot of uh the NFL seems to be catching up with Belichick, but I was gonna. Uh, but on the other end of it, um, I think a lot of the SEC coaches would like to see Nick Saban uh, move along. A decade ago, when both coaches were sixty, were we saying that they'll still be coaching in a decade? 
I don't know. That's hard to That's go back a, into that mind yeah. frame. I like that question. There's no correct answer to this. Probably It's just not. Don't you? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like, I'm like, there's no way. That's 70? Well, because, okay, let me, coaching. let me do too deep of a dive into this, okay? That's what we're looking with, for. With Belichick, I feel like a lot of people would have said he might be going out whenever Brady goes out. One, you wouldn't have assumed Brady to play this ungodly long. And then two, I mean, now it, that once he did leave New England, I guess, you know, it was, it behooves Belichick to try and show it was not more Brady, that was more him. But, I mean, you couldn't have foreseen Brady playing anywhere else. So, again, the thought would have been whenever Brady retires, Belichick probably just retires. So that kind of flew that, you know, threw that off. With Saban, you know, there was that string. I don't know, maybe 2010 to 2015 or 2016, where it felt like every single year people were trying to get him to go back to the NFL or go so, go to Texas or you know like there was these all these people that are just kind of half joking but like half trying to report that like there's real interest in the NFL and Saban or, or Texas and Saban or whatever. Right. So it felt like maybe Saban would would still be coaching in 2022, but maybe not with Alabama if you believe those people, which I don't know if people should have believed those people because he was in the process of building a dynasty. So I, I don't think that it is maybe as shocking that Saban's still going because he's just built something that's not come to an end yet. But I think that maybe there was always a thought that Belichick would kind of peace out once, once Brady was gone or, you know, I mean, shortly thereafter, but because Brady kind of reset the circumstances by leaving, it maybe kind of altered the way Belichick has thought about things. You know, another coach, by the way, Pete Carroll, and his early, I think he's seventy one or seventy two. I would have said he'd probably be gone by now because Russell Wilson's gone. I would have, I would have tied him to Russell Wilson, and said that the minute Russell Wilson leaves is probably the minute Pete Carroll leaves. And yet Pete Carroll's still there for what's going to be probably a really bad team this right. year. So I don't know. Everyone's doing everything. Everyone's getting for longer. old, and yeah. everyone's continuing to do things. Yeah. Um, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, today are all 70 years old. Okay. All of them 70 years old. We've got a chat with Ben Ingram here in about six or seven minutes, the play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves. So we can take your phone calls, 334-887-3401, or toll-free at one 888 9 if you want to be a part of the program. Joining us now on the show is... Anthony from Auburn. Anthony has called into today's program. Hey, Anthony. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Very well. How are you? Good. You know, you guys, uh, we go over this every year, how much longer, how much longer. But, you know, his health is uh, held up. His physical health is holding up. His mental health is holding up. And all those things, two things hold up, and uh, he has desire to coach and is winning, then I, I think he'll continue to coach. You know, nowadays yeah. you have uh, all these diets. You could uh, eat a healthy, nutritious diet and, and all the advances in, in, in medicine now that uh, he very well may go to. He's 80 or 85 years old. Uh, I mean, Joe Paterno, look how long he went in bad health. So look how long this guy may go in good health. I mean, the foundation is there. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to take away from what Saban's done, but let's not say built. Let's say revived. I mean, Bear Bryant had already established that. Bear Bryant and, and the coaches before him, that already was a national championship winning program. Southeastern Conference national winning program. Uh, more bowl victories and all that stuff. TV appearances. That was already there, uh, guys. He just revived it. I mean, it, it, nowadays with all the media outlets, it's just more amplified. 
than what Brian did because you can talk about it every day. You can see it every second on some kind of media gadget. And there's been big advancements in technology. Or whatever, but it's the same thing. Don't get it wrong. It's the same thing. You know, but nowadays players are bigger, faster, stronger. You got more sophisticated systems to running, but uh, yeah. you know he very well. I just think it's unique that we've got all those great coaches who are seventy. You know, yeah. and it's it is something yeah. for us to sit here and talk about. Do you think Bill Belichick and Nick Saban will be coaching when they're eighty years old? I don't know about Belichick, but I would possibly say Saban possibly could because like his health is intact. Belichick is overweight. Uh, that may pay, play back <laughs> maybe high blood pressure, potential diabetes, or health issues with being overweight. So I'm not going to say with Belichick, but I would say uh, Saban could very well go another 10 years. His, his wife is very supportive for one thing. She's the number one cheerleader. So you know when a, when a woman gets behind a man. Amen. Anything can happen. Hey, hey, would you blame him if he wanted to walk away? Huh? Would you blame Nick Saban if he wanted to walk away? Of course not. He's, he's, I mean, he's been to Hallelujah Land time and time again. If he decided tomorrow in the middle of practice that he's had enough and want to go ahead and, and go away, then, hey, I, you can't hold it against him. Let him go ahead and go on if it's tomorrow or next week. Uh, of course not. Yeah. But, uh, I, but, hey, he's a competitor. He likes to compete. He got players. I mean, you could when you're recruiting like this guy's recruiting and getting those alpha dogs, he likes to call it, uh, you know, coming in, competing, biting around, jumping around, fighting and scratching – I mean, that keeps his energy going. The man is intrigued with that, and he ain't finna buy out no time soon unless he starts losing, can't get the dogs in there, have some kind of health issue that pops up. I, I say y'all and everybody else, the whole world is in trouble for more years to come. You might as well get with it. And I know y'all got a guess, so I'm going to go ahead and ease on out of him. But I'm going to be calling y'all next week, and we're going to make this thing do what it do because it's getting close to kickoff. Have it's got to do what it do. Thanks, Anthony. Appreciate the phone call there. 334-887-3401. Along the same lines for just a second. How old was Kay when he retired? 74. 74. I'm just, I mean, it's an interesting question because, okay, Anthony kind of broached the subject there, but it's like just on an elemental level, I mean, it is fair. People can have better health into their 70s now. I mean, that, that, that's just the way society and, and health and science has made it to where you can have, um, a better well-being later and later in life. I mean, I'm not trying to get political here, but why do you, why do you think they're changing or talking about changing the age of, for Social Security and all that? Sure. Because people live longer now. People are able to stay stay around for a longer period of time. So, I mean, I don't know if I can see Saban going to 80 just because I don't feel like he'd want to be doing that. I mean, I don't know. It, it You know, it depends how good Alabama is, I, I suppose, but um, either way, you know, these guys are able to go longer for the most part if they want to than I, than I think ever before. Talking about Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, coaching ages and more. Here's a coach for you, the manager of the Atlanta Braves. His name's Brian Snitker. He's 66 years old and still doing a good job leading the 2021 World Series champion Atlanta Braves. We'll talk about that baseball team with Ben Ingram right after this timeout here on Sports Call. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Back on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM. And on the Tiger Communications app, want to let you know that our Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Enjoy an ice-cold Coke to go along with the hottest sports talk. We want to go now to our Auburn Bank phone line and bring on a good buddy. It's Ben Ingram, the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves, kind enough to be with us on this Tuesday, talking a little Braves baseball as Atlanta gets set for another game tonight against the New York Mets. And uh, Ben, last night was a fun one. It feels as though Atlanta's probably still scoring runs, given how well they played last night. Yeah, that was a big one. I think when it comes to this series, this is a do-or-die series for the Braves. Um, and what I mean by that is I think they need three games or better in this series. If you don't do that, I think the Mets are in a really good position to go the rest of the way and win this division. So in order to have a good series, you needed to have a, a good first game. And they did that last night. They took out a really tough pitcher, uh, came back after an hour-long rain delay, and Spencer Strider looked good, and the hits kept coming. So hopefully more of that tonight and the next two nights. With Atlanta last night, that 13-1 to victory, we also had a, a pretty lengthy rain delay. How did you occupy your time during that rain delay, Ben? Um, let's see. Well, last night, we were just kind of hanging out. I mean, uh, between Joe and Jay Chad and Chip walked in and some of the other guys from TV, we were just hanging out and chatting and, and things like that. You know, an hour... Uh, hour-long rain delay really isn't all that long. I think we have uh, we've had other rain delays this season that have been significantly longer than that. I know on the video board they're playing highlights of the World Series from last year, so I think we're all kind of <laughs> caught up watching that a little bit. So just kind of hanging in there and just waiting for the uh, the tarp to come off, and fortunately it did. And just knowing how long you've been doing this, you've got great rain delay stories as well. So I had to catch in on and see how that went for Atlanta. What a sixth inning it was for the Braves, where it felt like everybody was getting a hit up and down the order what's going to be the key to carrying that over the rest of the series well you you face a pitcher tonight in taiwan walker whom you really did well against the last time you faced him if you remember that series in new york that was a five-game series the braves won one game and the one game was against taiwan walker this guy throws a ton of split finger fastballs he throws more splitters than he throws four seamers and that pitch was not there for him the last time he faced the braves that pitch was up they scored four runs in the first they scored another four runs in the second inning and went on to win that game uh, so I, I think you're looking for the same thing, and you go into this with a lot of confidence. And I like the lineup that the Braves had last night. Uh, I, I think what you have to do to the Mets is what they've done to you. You have to get on base. You have to score a bunch of runs. I think the stat that really jumped out to me was going into last night's game. In the 12 games the Braves had played against the Mets this season, the Mets had won eight of those 12, and they had outscored the Braves 31-9 to in the first three innings of games. The conclusion is they're scoring early runs and they're holding on. So they were coming out, punching the Braves in the mouth and establishing an early lead and really dictating the pace of play in the ball game. I think the Braves really flipped it on them last night, scoring those runs early. And if you can do that again tonight versus the Mets, I think that's a path that would certainly work because the Mets aren't a team, in my opinion, that's going to overcome a significant deficit. I know they did earlier this season versus the Phillies. But the reason I say that is they're a team that's not a prolific home run hitting team. 
they're much more of a small ball team. They lead the, the big leagues in infield base hits. So if you have a big lead against them, I think they're going to have a hard time coming back, and I'd try to follow the same blueprint as you had from last night's victory. And, Ben, this time last week, prepping for that Boston series, obviously coming off of losing four out of five in New York, and this team has not lost since then. They've won seven in a row. And what does that just say about the DNA of this team? Obviously, they're champions, and we understand that, although they continue to integrate new guys as well. We'll talk about Von Grissom in a moment. But to, to have such a, a, a disappointing series against a team that you've been nipping at the heels of for a while and then just be able to turn it around immediately, wash it, and, and go out and, and start a new win streak. I think that's a really good question, and I think it really leads to what we learned about this team last year. This team displayed an ability to put really bad losses behind them last year, and that really started around August, September of last season. I know they really weren't playing good baseball until then, but if you go back to the first week of September last year, they did not lose back-to-back games from there through the end of the year. Not in the regular season, not in the postseason, not the World Series, and they had a great ability of taking a bad loss putting it behind them, getting out there the next day and getting after it. And I think the same would be said about that series in New York. Uh, sure, it was disappointing. You wanted to go in there and at least win two ball games, maybe even three. You didn't. Uh, but they knew that they had an ability to come back. They had an off day in Boston, bounce back the very next day. And we say it all the time about this game. Your momentum is, is as strong as your next day's starting pitcher. Uh, you could win ten games in a row, but if you're not throwing a good pitcher that very next night out, you're not going to be the same team. Uh, they know what they're capable of, and they've had an ability to, to stay away from panic. And there might be other teams that would go to New York in that situation, drop four out of five, and that put them in a tailspin for the rest of the season. Not this bunch. Uh, it, this is a bunch that has the ability to really have a short-term memory, move on to the next ball game, and get back into the win column. And I, I think that ability is what helped them win a championship last year. And I think it, that ability has got them in position to still catch the Mets, that the, that the team that they're trying to catch. So um, I, I think having the ability to jump back in versus the Red Sox, win those two ball games, and then sweep the Marlins, and then you bring a big winning streak into this series, and now things are completely different. It's a completely different feel going into this series with the Mets than that last series against the Mets in New York, and I think that's a, a major quality for the success of this team. Of course, Braves country has been captivated by the first week of Von Grissom's career, Ben. Uh, I'm curious for you, having seen him in person now for a week, what impresses you about him? And then just a theme of this year with these young guys, he and Michael Harris coming straight from double A, a move that we don't see all the time. But these two guys so far have not missed a beat. Yeah, they've been great. And to see those guys who are 21 years old and do the things that they're doing, you don't see that very often in baseball. Uh, going back to your first question, I think for Vaughn, the most impressive thing is he hasn't seemed overwhelmed by the moment. I think that moment would be overwhelming for most 21-year-olds, especially making your debut at Fenway Park. Uh, then you're thrown into a series against the Mets. It's an enormous series. And I, he doesn't seem to be treating this any differently than he would have a, a series in, in AA uh, against Pensacola or someone like that. That's really impressive to me. He's a gamer. We've, we've learned that about him at spring training each of the last few seasons. Brian Snitker has spoken very highly of him, and uh, he's liked what he has seen at spring training. But you're seeing this guy get an opportunity, and I think 
think he's done a great job seizing that opportunity, seizing that moment, and, and playing extremely well. And I think on top of that, anytime you join this ball club and you're in the shoes of a Vaughn Grissom or, or someone else coming up from the minor leagues, it's not the you haven't reached the finish line. Getting to the big leagues isn't the end goal. There's an expectation of you when you come to this ball club, when you walk into that clubhouse, there's a standard set. This isn't just the big leagues and we're here to have a good time. There's a standard there to win, uh, to get out there and get back to the World Series, win it again. And I think that forces young players to step up and maybe play at a level level that they didn't realize they could play at. And I, I think that's been really impressive. You see Vaughn off the field. You know, we see him in the hotel or on the bus or in the clubhouse, and he's very much a kid. I mean, he doesn't even look 21, in my opinion. But he gets out there on the field, and he plays with a confidence and an ability that's certainly exceeding his years. And it's been really fun to watch that out of a 21-year-old. Ben, I want to stick in the minor leagues, but not for a minor leaguer. Starting tonight, Mike Soroka is getting his first rehab start. Schedule have his first rehab start up in Rome tonight. What are the Braves looking for, at least early during this rehab stint, to see from Mike Soroka? Sure. I think it's just to get out there and see how everything feels. And, and, and really, look, you're going to want to see results. That's for sure. Anytime you're out there, you want to see results and, and see how you feel structurally. But I think the biggest answer to Mike's rehab is how does he feel 24 hours later? Uh, how does he feel after getting up and getting down multiple times? How deep can it go? And this is certainly going to be not just an inning-by-inning inning process. This will be a pitch-by-pitch pitch process. And just getting him back into action, uh, I think that's really big for him. I think it's really big for, for his uh, mentality and, and where he feels about where he is and his rebound. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I'll be interested to see what the reports are for him 24 to 48 hours later, how everything feels structurally and what the next step is for him. And then sticking with that theme, Ben, let's talk about Ozzy Albies. I think he is getting close uh, to rehab assignments, or at least getting on the field, I think, on last check. Uh, what is his status? And then kind of a follow-up to that, kind of piggybacking back off on Grissom. Uh, whenever Ozzy is able to come back, it will be this year, um, what do you think the Braves might do with Vaughn, especially if he continues to keep hitting at the rate he is? Good news is we, we do not have to know the answer to that right now. I don't think they know the answer to that right now. The good news is they have a surplus of guys who have stepped up and gotten the job done. And I think that might be one of the biggest differences in teams who make it to the postseason and teams who don't. You could look at a, a wide variety of teams who back in April, May, maybe even June were playing good baseball, but they had their fair share of injuries like every single team does. And what are your answers when you have an injury? What are you going to do when you lose a key player? Do you have the guys who can step up, give you depth, and keep your team floating along? Or does that become a hole in your boat and eventually sink your boat once you get in July, August, and eventually September? I think the Braves are a perfect example of a team that has the depth to continue to win. I think what Orlando Arcia did stepping in for Ozzy was terrific. And, and once Orlando went down, you get a, a major contribution from Vaughn Grissom. And no one thought we'd be saying that. Uh, but given the fact that they've had those issues, they've had those needs, they continue to call upon guys, and they continue to show the depth that they have, and they continue to win baseball games. I think once Ozzy comes back, and, and hopefully that's pretty soon. I saw him running out in the outfield earlier today. He has a long way to go still. Uh, in, in terms of getting back to 100%, but you would hope that at some point in September we could see that. Once he does, then uh, I would imagine that they would ease him back in. I don't think it's 
once Ozzie's 100%, you just throw him out there every single day. I think he's going to be treated the same way that Ronald was treated this year, where they eased into it with Ronald. You could use Ozzie as a DH. You could use Vaughn as a DH. Keep in mind, Vaughn came up as a shortstop. That's his natural position. And if you wanted to give Dansby a day off, you've got a guy who could play some shortstop and things like that. So you'll have options, and they'll probably figure that out once we get there. You mentioned the Mets game coming up again tonight. Our guest right now, Ben Ingram, the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves. You can listen to Braves baseball right here in the Auburn area, AM 1230 WAUD. Uh, Taiwan Walker gets the baseball tonight for the Mets. What about Wednesday and Thursday? What are other storylines that we need to be following? Obviously, this division race is a huge one, but what are some of those pinpoint notes for the games the rest of the way this series? Sure. I think when it comes to games three and four, a lot of that hinges on game game two tonight. And the reason I say that is if you find a way to win tonight and do what you did last night, then you go into games three and four very relaxed. And I think that's the best you can ask for when you're facing Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom. If you can win tonight, then you go into those next two games knowing you just need to beat one of those guys. Uh, And that's going to be challenging in itself. It's not easy to beat either of those guys. But you don't want to lose tonight and then go into games three and four knowing you have to beat Scherzer and DeGrom to take three out of four in this series. Uh, So I think a lot of what happens in games three and four hinges on tonight and their ability to win or or, uh, and and get the job done in tonight's ballgame. Uh, furthermore, I, I think seeing those guys in, in close proximity with, with each other, just like we saw Scherzer and DeGrom uh, on the last road trip, I think that will help to a degree. Uh, it's a hot lineup right now, but those two guys are two of the best in the big leagues. You have to just find a way to grind them down, and you hope that your pitcher can go toe-to-toe with those guys and be equally as good. Um, and that's going to be a challenge for Jake Odorizzi, who will go in game three, and then whomever the Braves decide to go in game four. That decision has not been made yet. That will either be Kyle Wright or Kyle Muller, and um, it will be a big challenge. But it, like I said, you win the night, and that makes it a little bit easier on you in games three and four. And then, of course, coming up this weekend, the Houston Astros are coming to town. Ben, you mentioned a little bit earlier a rain delay last night for fans there at Truist Park. There are some highlights of the World Series, and I would imagine it's hard to start to describe a Braves and Houston Astros series coming up this weekend without starting with the fact that these two teams last met last fall uh, for the World Series. Yeah, there's no question about that. Joe and I were talking about that the other night on the air. And I told him, for as long as I live, anytime I hear that the city Houston, Texas, the first thing I'm going to think about, whether I'm 45 years old or 95 years old, is going to be the 2021 <laughs> World Series. There's just no, there's no way that, that anything else is going to top that when it comes to name recognition with Houston, Texas, and the 2021 World Series. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, having some of those memories and going down memory lane during those broadcasts over the weekend will be a lot of fun. But it, it could be a matchup that we see again. I think the Astros right now, in my opinion, look like the best team in the American League. They continue to win. Uh, they're looking for their third pennant in their last four years. And that's a team that just might do it. So they're going to be really, really tough. You see two of the best teams in baseball in the Mets and the Astros on this homestand. And if you can take four out of seven, that would be a very successful homestand. You do even better than that. And we're talking about the kind of homestand that could really launch you into the month of September. So a big challenge, but a challenge that this team is looking forward to. Have a great call tonight, Ben. We certainly do appreciate the time that you take to visit with us here on the radio show. 
You got it, fellas. Thanks for having me. That's our good pal Ben Ingram. He is the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves, and he's joining us there on our Auburn Bank phone line. Guy's so smart, has so many uh, stats and facts to throw your way about these matchups, and that's what it comes down to at the end of the year. Uh, As we said, 45 games left on the season for Atlanta. Matchups are going to be big in all of this. Basically a quarter of the way, and if you want to really start diving into it, I mean, that's only about nine more turns in rotation. If you operate with a five-man rotation, everyone is down to a single-digit amount of starts remaining on their season. So, uh, I, you know, it's been – baseball such a long season. It's a, it's a slog at times. But this week is, is like the perfect week for important baseball preceding the last month of the season because of the Mets series, the four games at Truist Park. And then uh, Mr. Brooks Childress is going to be at one of these weekend games against the Houston Astros. And you're right, I think – you know, every time you think Astros, if you're a Braves fan, for a very long time, you're going to think about the 2021 World Series. Now, the only thing that maybe would override that is if you win another World Series and there's another city to think about in association with the Braves championship. Uh, but I, I imagine, yeah, when we think Astros for a long time, we don't have to think just about the cheating and the uh, you know low-life commissioner of the league uh, not giving them a, a harsher penalty for cheating the game of baseball. We can think about them losing yeah. to the Atlanta Braves uh, in the World Series as well. Before 2021, when I thought Astros and obviously the cheating scandals that took place, you thought about it in the light of the Atlanta Braves. I was thinking about a 2005 NLDS series that the Braves yeah. had against yeah. the Astros. Uh, that was a little bit heartbreaking. The Astros made it all the way to the World Series that year before losing to Ozzie Guillen and the Chicago White Sox in that 05 World Series. So there's a trip back Joey, down memory lane for folks. I believe Joey Devine gave up like a, a grand slam in maybe like the 17th inning or something. I don't know. I'm trying to recount this as like a nine-year-old, but that Braves Astro series that you're referring right. to was a frustrating one, yeah. Right. Well, you will see uh, not, what, not the most recent version. What happens coming up this week? How is Will Smith doing for the Astros? Has he had a couple appearances so far? Um, I've I been haven't a, thought to check in on him. His first appearance, he gave up a home run. I've I been, remember that. I've actually. been kind of slacking on my box score scouting, um, <laughs> and I didn't even look up their game yesterday. I know they they lost to the White Sox. Uh, Brooks has got some baseball reference for us. I was about I think, to say so. uh, his his time at the Astros. He has not re- recorded a record yet, so still zero zero, but a four seventy six ERA, six games pitched, um, five and two thirds innings, seven hits, three runs, all of them earned, two home runs, and five strikeouts. Will Smith now pitching Small for the size, uh, yeah. for the Houston Astros. That's different. I'm sure yeah, he's going to have some memories he'll pitch coming back this to Truist Park. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. That's going to be uh, absolutely weird and different to see him throwing for the Astros against Atlanta. Uh, Odorizzi goes tomorrow, so he will not likely pitch against the Astros this weekend. That's who the Braves got in that trade there. Thanks again to Ben Ingram for joining us here on Sports Call today. That brings us to the end of our number one here on the program. Got a long break here. When we come back to start the next hour, our very good pal, retired Ward Amp Steve will be with us. We'll talk some college football news and notes still to come on today's show. Kyle Petty joins the program a little bit later as well. Alongside Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, my name is JJ Jackson. One hour in the books and we're rolling.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson from inside the studios with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Our thanks again to Ben Ingram for joining us in hour number one to talk about the Atlanta Braves. A big 13-1 victory for the Bravos last night over the Mets. We already heard from Anthony and James on today's program. Later in the show, we interview Kyle Petty about his new book coming out. We'll have that conversation in the final hour of today's show. But for now, we're taking your phone calls. Back to the Auburn Bank phone lines we go. Joining us now, Ward Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve has called into Sports Call. Hi, Steve. Hey, thanks for taking my phone call, everybody. And uh, in the words of Mr. Keith Jackson, oh, no, we got uh, some uh, football season to open up, right? Thank you for Anthony calling in. And, uh, Matthew, I got, I got one for you, man, okay? Anyone can be an Alabama fan, Anthony. You got to be tough, though, to be an Auburn fan. And we'll start the uh, trash talking from there. There we go. It's a good one to start with. All right. Uh, we are very comments. tough. Yeah, well, you got to be tough. you got to be uh, tough as nails and have a lot of uh, Pepto-Bismol and Tums and uh, whatever else yeah. you need. All right. Just got my uh, tickets for my daughter meet for the uh, LSU game and for the Penn State game. Perfect. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The prices have gone dramatically up, guys. Have you seen the ticket prices? I haven't got a chance to look at them too closely, but I'm excited that you get to be there, Steve. Those are going to be great games. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping maybe I can take an opportunity uh, before the games to come out and see you guys on Friday. you got to be uh, able to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Got to do it. All right, moving, guys. Uh, you know, yesterday I mentioned real quickly about the AL.com from Ramsey Archibald's article about the most popular college choices sure. by, county, by county. Have you seen that article? I did see it, uh, and I know you referenced uh, Auburn gaining in popularity, it seems. Well, we have the highest in-state enrollment uh, in terms of total enrollment, 14,460 uh, for in-state residents. So what does that tell you, that we have the highest enrollment of actually in-state in residents that come to Auburn rather than going uh, anywhere else? Yeah, I guess they're, uh, they're, they're, they want to be Auburn Tigers, which we certainly do applaud. It takes a level which, of skill and commitment to be an Auburn person, as we've said. Yeah, not only that, but tells me also, explains to me uh, the passion that Auburn fans have in general for Auburn sports in general versus Alabama fans who basically yeah. focus on And just the football. university and all the various opportunities that come with being a student, not only just the athletic side of things, but there are really cool things that you could do with students as well. Which why, you know, sports mean a lot more um, to, to Auburn fans than maybe uh, sidewalk Alabama fans and other fans. Now, you know, of course, who has the most in-state residents uh, from uh, 
15 counties is the most of uh, the counties, and that's Troy. They're number one, guys. Yeah. Uh, next on the list, 10 counties. Uh, that's Jacksonville State. Okay. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, now, in terms of uh, all that, uh, Auburn is actually number two when it comes to the most counties uh, in the state that uh, come to us after Troy. So I thought that was uh, pretty telling. All right. Uh, enough of that, guys. I saw something on here that I didn't know if you guys were aware of. Yeah, let me ask but, you a uh, question real quickly, Steve. Sure. Have you gotten a chance to listen to our conversation with Phil Steele? Because we didn't get a chance to talk about that. No. Uh, what uh, What date is that podcast? It was on Thursday. It was on Thursday. Okay. I missed, so there's some homework uh, real, for you this evening. Well, well just real quickly, uh, did he uh, give you his... Uh, final uh, total prediction oh yeah it was uh, i'm serious that was one of our best conversations we've had with him in many many years so i just okay. wanted to bring that to your attention it's from last thursday on the podcast feed so we could talk about that tomorrow then okay should, so uh, should i uh, uh have a bone to pick with him or not i think you'll be pretty pleased in years past i know you have but i would imagine that you'll be pretty pleased yeah he tends to be you know pretty critical of auburn uh when auburn, auburn fans are you know, feeling really uh, pumped up. All right, well, I'll definitely uh, will take a, a listen to it. Uh, real quickly, guys, I saw this uh, one of the uh, from one of the uh, bloggers on a two four seven sports. I want to know if you knew anything about it. And uh, it comes uh, with this article it says Kirby Smart on Marty and McGee, and it must have been I guess today. Uh, it says uh, on the podcast apparently with Marty McGee, he says that uh, Kirby Smart says they have ninety five players with some type of nil deal. Now, I thought um, the limit was 85. Uh, is that something I'm misunderstanding about? I'm not quite sure on the guidelines there with uh, NIL versus scholarships and all of that uh, that comes into play. But, no, I know that uh, they released all of their talking seasons with Marty and McGee last night for the SEC East head coaches. And tonight at 630 Central on the SEC Network, Marty and McGee interview Brian Harson, Nick Saban, Sam Pittman, and all the other coaches in the SEC West. Okay, all right. Uh, I just didn't know what to make of that when he said that they have 95 players, and this person confirmed it. Some other watch said, "Yeah, I heard the same thing." So I thought, you know, the limit was 85. So that that is Steve. I, I just looked it up really quickly. You can have 85 scholarship players on your roster. You can have up to 125 active players on your roster, but only 85 of them can be on scholarship for a Division One uh, FBS football team. Well. Hold Nelly, then. Uh, you can really outbid. You can outbid everybody, then, I guess. That's right. Okay. All right. Speaking of that, let's move it on, guys. These are some players, according to uh, some of the uh, uh, writers uh, on uh, 247 Sports, that said that we need to look out for. One of them is Mr. Tate Johnson. They said that his progression, according to Nathan King, his words, has been unreal. So that's good to hear. Uh, also, Mr. Wesley Steiner apparently has caught the attention of, uh, of our uh, coaches as well. Sure thing. And also Luke Deal. So those are just some names that they threw out uh, that uh, I'm going to be uh, looking to see uh, what they do. What kind of playing time, guys, do you think uh, we may or may not see uh, with Mr. Ashford? 
That's the million-dollar question because we spent a lot of time talking about the two quarterbacks at the top and Calzada and Finley, and then, you know, what kind of playing time does the backup see? The guy that does not win that job, we always, always, always debate every year how much playing time is enough playing time for your backup quarterback. And then you're having to factor in a third guy? Like, I don't know how a coaching staff can even possibly do that. I would like to think we will see some snaps this season for Robbie Ashford, but I don't even know that you could be a hundred gear, a hundred percent guaranteed that that happens, given how talented he is. But that you've got two quarterbacks that likely appear to be a little bit ahead of him. I don't know what kind of opportunities there are going to be for Mr. Ashford. I mean, you see him maybe entering the transfer portal if he doesn't get very much playing time this season. <laughs> given the way it's been going the last few years, I'm not going to be surprised if anybody enters the transfer portal. Saw a little bit earlier today or last night it was that uh, Ben Patton, Auburn's walk-on kicker, yep. who of course hit that 49-yarder against Alabama last year, he's now in the transfer portal. Yeah, I saw that, guys. Um, I, I kind of, you know, really, really kind of disappointed to see him uh, do that, but I, I guess uh, we can understand it. Um, I mean, he uh, kicked, what was it, a three for three uh, in the overtime game? Yeah, four for five total on the year, three for three in that Alabama game. And like we said, that 49-yarder that he had uh, for Auburn. But they've got Anders Carlson back healthy. Alex McPherson is their top freshman kicker coming in. Even Evan McGuire was more regarded – I just made up a new word there – more regarded as a a high school prospect coming into college football. So uh, it felt like the opportunities would be a little limited for Ben Patton. And so uh, he's decided to enter the transfer portal. Okay. Uh, also, guys, you probably know or may not know uh, until I read it here that Mr. Al Borges has got a book coming out. Are you aware of that? Yes. It's called Deny the Tiger. And he says he's going to be down here for book signing. Do you know when that may be and what uh, no, he's going I'm, to be doing? No, I'm doing everything we can to try and get a conversation set up with Al Borges because he's uh, on tour with that new book, and that's someone that we'd absolutely love to bring to our program. And so uh, if we get any information, we'll be sure to pass it along. Okay, because I did read from uh, earlier comments, I don't know if it was AO.com or 247 Sports, that he has planned to come do the book signing here at Auburn. But I don't recall if he mentioned the name of the bookstore uh, or when that day is going to be. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that information myself. Okay, so you're going to try to get Mr. Al Borges in, I understand. Yes. Okay, well, if anybody can do it, it's you. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. All right, real, real quickly, guys, before I get off the air here, uh, Mr. Ryan LaVoy. Yes, sir. You're my movie man. Uh, have you considered seeing bodies, bodies, bodies? Um, I've considered it. I don't know. I'm gonna have to hear like really good reviews. There's a couple other movies coming out uh, that are horror movies. The Invitations this weekend, and there's one other that I forgot the name of. So it's not at the top of my list for right now. Okay, because Rotten Tomatoes uh, liked it a lot. I don't always agree with their, uh, but they said it's a extremely well-done, uh, dark uh, horror comedy. I did. I'll tell you what, Steve. Do you have Hulu? Yes, I do. I watched uh, Prey the other night. It's the new... I watched Prey. Yes. What do you think? I thought it was great. I thought so too. I, I, I've been. Uh, they put all the Predator movies on Hulu, kind of in preparation for them releasing the new one, the the prequel. Um, and, and I've really enjoyed watching all of them and, and getting up to Prey. And I thought it was a uh, a nice. You know, you still don't have all the answers to everything. You just kind of see the Predator dropped onto the onto the uh, the land there. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. I think they've done a, a good job for the most part with the series. 
Yeah, and I thought the uh, the girl who played the uh, Native American Indian, I thought she did a good acting job. I agree. All right, and um, I think I ran up things to, uh, to ramble and or make another sense about. So, guys. Well, uh, listen to the Phil Steele interview for us, Steve, and let us know what you I, think tomorrow. I'm definitely going to do that. There is one CBS uh, uh, sports writer, let me get his name up right here real quickly, who predicts that Alabama will not go undefeated. Okay. Uh, let me get him up here real quickly. Okay, here we go. College football expert rejects the idea that Alabama will go undefeated. His name is A.J. Spur. Are you familiar with his name? Not at all. Okay. Um, let me let you know who he thinks. I'm sorry. It's uh, written by A.J. Spur. The uh, sports writer is actually Doug uh, Kazarian. Is that I'm, right? I'm more familiar with that name, yes. ESPN argued Alabama going undefeated uh, is not likely. Uh, he is he, he here are the suspects that he believes will do the tight end okay uh, and who you guess he picked in terms of opponents on their schedule you're saying that they could yeah. lose to uh, Tennessee you got it Ole Miss you got it and Arkansas very good. Did you see that article already, Mr. Ronald Boyd? No, I have not. That's that's <laughs> well, that's my thought. If they're gonna lose one, it's gonna be a road game and those are their three tough road games, relatively speaking. So I, I Okay. I fall I probably just follow the same line of thinking. I'm not guaranteeing you a loss, but i I feel pretty confident given they lost at A and M last year. If they're going to lose, it's not gonna be to A and M this year, it's gonna be in Tuscaloosa. It's gonna be one of those tougher road games. Now, he also included one other team that is not a road game that he says has a he says legitimate chance to upset them. Who would that be? How long has it been since we last beat uh, Alabama at their place? 2010, Cam Newton. Yeah, rival Auburn. That's who he says he's picking. Okay. We'd love that. It's a, it's a, it's a rival. Well, look, we know how great the rivalry is. You as good as Alabama is, it's usually at home where Auburn gives Alabama trouble no matter what, but right. it is a rivalry, so you just never know. Usually, I mean, since that last, you know, 28-7 comeback, you know, we, we typically, it's not a close game, guys, honestly, right? It's been usually a three-touchdown loss at least. Yes. So I was, I was rather taken aback by him picking us being as a possible upset uh, at their place. This has been such a long time uh, coming. All right. With that, guys, and that being said, hey, I look forward. I'm going to go back to the podcast with the Mr. Field Steel. And uh, you guys have a safe afternoon Perfect. and evening. Look forward to the uh, interview with Mr. Uh, Kyle Petty. And uh, I got to tell you guys, you know, if I had, you know, uh, the, the wealth that uh, some of uh, the station managers uh, in your area probably have, I'd give all of you guys an additional. Pay, pay raise. Thank and you, Steve. Mr. JJ, for all the, the people that you get on there, you deserve, I'd say, a, at least a 20% pay raise. <laughs> I really do appreciate that, Steve. That means a lot. Thank you. Okay, well, I wish it meant a lot in terms of it's in the mail. Same. But I, I can't say it's in the mail. Yeah. But uh, anyway, enough said, guys. My rambling's over. 
You have a safe afternoon and evening, and talk again soon. Until next time, War Damn Eagle always. War Damn Eagle indeed, our very good pal, retired War Damn Steve, joining us there on the program. Greatly appreciate that Steve makes it a priority to call in and be a part of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Would you do the same? Would you call in and chat with us about anything going on in the wide world of sports? Very easy to do that. 334-887-3401. Sports Call continues in a moment. J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. We're back on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. You ask, the people deliver. We want to hear from you. 334-887-3401 to call in so your voice can be heard on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Sports Call has been on the air for 27 years. Just celebrated our 27th birthday last week, which is crazy to think about for a sports talk show. Uh, We've talked about this before. It's older than me. It's older than a lot of the people uh, that contribute to this program. And so uh, grateful to be here in the studio as we are now days away, 18 to be exact, 18 days away from the start of the Auburn football season. Let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line and joining us now on the program, Terry from Auburn has called into Sports Call today. What's going on, Terry? Guys, how y'all doing? Very well. Thanks for the call. Fantastic. Guys, does anybody in their right frame of mind that, that, that considers everything seriously think Brian Harson's going to risk his future at Auburn and put T.J. Finley in at quarterback? I know how it looks right now. But that's what T.J. Finley is. He's a great practice player. And I know they're going to scrimmage Friday night, and that's all about well and good. But there's not going to be 90,000 people in the stand. There's not going to be three dozen cameras on them. There's not going to be a team across the sideline. Yeah, TJ, they can't be better than a four-win team with T.J. Finley. He just look, he, look. Everybody says, "Well, he may have gotten better." Well, okay, that's fine. I mean, everybody brings up Jason Campbell from from twenty years ago or whatever it was, and that's that's. Look, we all know that they, a miracle happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all knew what Ronnie and Carnell could do. We just the guy that had to step up was Jason Campbell, and he did. Look, he could get better. I don't doubt that. But does Brian Harson really going to risk his future on him? Right now, it feels like that might be you know one of very few options. Zach Calzada is obviously the other guy in the mix, Terry. But uh, from what we've seen at the limited practice availabilities we've been able to go and attend, and then just uh, what's being reported as well, that offseason surgery that Zach Calzada had, he's a little bit slower coming back from that than I think a lot of people were hoping he would be this time of year. And then if it's not him, you're talking about Robbie Ashford, who did not play at all last year for Oregon, or a true freshman quarterback and holding. So for the time being, it feels as though T.J. Finley might be your best option. I think long term, yes, Calzada is the better quarterback and the guy that Auburn should go with. But here to start the season, Auburn might not have as many options as you would like for them to. See, see, people here say, well, he, he gets everybody in the right place and he gets them in the right place and all that kind of good. That's all well and good. That's like saying, okay, well, can you build a watch? No, but I can tell time. 
<laughs> so you know, so you know that, that I don't I don't understand the line of thinking there. Uh, you know, the name of the game and in, in the time we live in is offense. Auburn is no better than a 12th place team in the SEC in offense if TJ Finley's a quarterback. That is not my opinion, guys. There is a large enough sample at LSU and at Auburn and him in those uniforms what he can and cannot do. I'm sorry. I know he looks the part. Looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. You guys have heard that saying, I'm sure. Um, I just don't understand. I just, I just don't understand. It's like, it's like when I was playing ball, I mean, I, I was never afraid of the guys who like they lived in the weight room. The guys that scared me were the guys with the big old hips and a little bit of a belly on them. Those kind of guys. Like they've been bailing hay on the farm during the summer. Sure. Those are the kind of guys that gave me concerns. I didn't worry about a guy who looks like he bet you for 400 pounds. Right. So yeah, I, I just I just don't understand. I mean, and I do think we, it's a fair question to ask. Again, I just I don't know what other options could be available at this point. You really right. hope that Calzada can come back uh, quicker from injury and feel like he's a full go. Uh, I think it's awesome when Harson jokes about the fact that you know this big surgery that Calzada is having to go through is a result of the Auburn football game a year ago, and Harson joking over the fact that like, hey, if we knew he'd be our quarterback, we wouldn't have wanted that to happen at that moment in time. Uh, but unfortunately, it did, and now he's having to make the recovery. Now, to me, JJ, if you're gonna you're gonna look at the future, why not go with Garner? Why not go with Robbie Ashford? I know they're raw, but they're your future. Yeah, and uh, you know, Ashford's but then it's a question a of can can you risk the future if it's not going to result in wins anyway? Does it really matter uh, right. who that quarterback is? Right. It's it's I not a fun that. spot to be in for the head coach. Not at all. Not at all. And and I just can't believe that Brian Harson is going to – he's going to be in trouble trying to line up and play big boy football against Georgia and Alabama, who've already got a 10-year head start on him. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing I, I didn't – there's a lot of things I didn't like about Gus Malzahn, but the one, I will think, one good thing I will say about him is the reason he had success against Nick Saban is because he forced him to do things he didn't want to do. Right. And if, you, if you're determined to line up and play football, see Les Miles. How'd that work out? You know, right. So um, that, that's my whole. That's the whole point. People try to line up and go nose nose with Saban and Smart. You're going to lose. You're going to get embarrassed. So and even and, and JJ, even if even if um, Auburn battled off a bunch of ten and two seasons and they kept losing to uh, Georgia and Alabama, how long do you think the the, the, the powers that be at Auburn would allow that? <laughs> Not too long, given what exactly. we saw in the well, ten and two are. Ten and two are great, but if you constantly losing your two biggest rivals, it doesn't matter. Like that. Yeah, they're going to want right. to beat those guys. Sure. It's been too long. Jay, good to talk to you, man. Uh, thanks you for the call today, Terry. We'll talk again sure. soon. That's my buddy Terry from Auburn. I want him to call in more frequently. It's football season. Call in. Say hello to us. Even if we don't agree on what you have to say from time to time, it's worthy of having discussion. Your opinion needs to be heard, and you can do that by calling us 334-887-3401. Gentlemen. I've spent so much time like trying to like handicap the race and who's ahead and just kind of summarize everything we've heard about what's going on i don't know if i've ever really formed an opinion on what i want to have happen here yeah like i've just spent so much time just being like oh well they're saying this about calzada and saying this about finley and if you look look at the numbers blah 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 because the the thing is is that when you do analyze what calzada did last year i think everyone just thinks of that alabama game and they kind of set that as the potential. And maybe that's fair to say that is the potential there. But the reality is the rest of the season wasn't really any different than TJ Finley. I mean, if you if you look at the thing, 56% on the season, no matter who is at quarterback, 56% out of a, a quarterback that can't run, running's not a part of their element, is not successful. Um 
the reality is, is whoever is the quarterback, Calzada or Finley, and I think those are still the two reasonable options. I, I think Robbie Ashford, despite doing good things, I just don't think that he um, is really being as hardly looked at as as Calzada and Finley. No matter who those who it is, even Calzada is going to have to play marketably better than what he did last year. And it goes back to talked about this a few weeks ago. And Terry kind of hit on it there. You know, Finley's the quarterback. He believes Auburn's going to have the 12th best offense in the SEC. The the reality is, is that for Auburn to have the closer to the ceiling season, no matter who the quarterback is, is going to have to take a significant jump because people were still kind of out there for debate on what Bo Nix was as a quarterback and where he stood Uh, in comparison to the rest of the quarterbacks in the SEC. And it's clear that Finley and Calzada were below that. It's clear that they were a decent amount below Bo Nix. And so you had a team that was playing pretty well, was 6-2 on its way to 7-2 before the the Nix injury, and so probably would have ultimately ended up at 8-4, 9-3. Now, maybe they win the Iron Bowl. Maybe they beat Texas A&M. Obviously, Texas A&M game was very winnable. Well, I guess Bo Nix did play in the A&M game, so I don't know that that wouldn't have mattered. So they did drop the 6-3 and three and then lost Mississippi State game. Um, but maybe they did win the Iron Bowl without – or with Bo Nix, excuse me. Maybe they do beat South Carolina with Bo Nix. So maybe it would have been an 8- or 9-win team. But even with Bo Nix, it was about an 8-win team playing like he did. So if you're going to take a significant drop down, and this is ignoring everyone else around you. This is a, this is assuming that everyone else is the same or worse. This is a, just saying that no one else around you got better. Then if you take a significant drop in quarterback play, you've got to find a lot of places to get significantly better at before you can get back to that eight-win level. Because – if you have poor quarterback play and you still have trouble running the ball, which, by the way, when you have poor quarterback play, it doesn't help you run the ball, right? Uh, regardless of, of blocking and, and the ability to run block. But if you can't run the ball better and you're playing worse at the quarterback position, you're set up to have a really poor offense. And the defense will be good, and there are certainly really good players around it, but – in this day and age of college football, can you just win with like the third or fourth best defense in your conference and just win a bunch of games that way? I don't. I don't think so. Um, so, I guess what we're saying here is, so far what we've heard out of camp is concerning, and it's not concerning necessarily because Finley is leading or what he is or isn't, but it's concerning that it is seeming to be. Finley is is leading this job because of Calzada's deficiencies, not because of things that Finley is developing or getting better at. That's the most concerning thing. If you if you said Calzada looks pretty good, but man, Finley looks right. like he's turned a corner. That would be different, right? And you would still have your p- opinions, and Great everyone point. would still kind of think about last year T.J. Finley and be like, I don't know. But what we're hearing here is that it is more about Calzada not 
not being as consistent as they thought he would be, not being as healthy as they thought he would be, not that TJ Finley is turning a corner. And that's the concerning part here. So personally, I don't even know what I want to have happen here. I don't have a strong opinion of who I want to have at quarterback. You know, I don't know if you, if you, Pull, put Ashford out there as a younger guy with less experience because to me if like Robbie Ashford is going to be your quarterback you need something completely different out of what you're running offensively yeah um, and, and so I don't think that you're doing that uh, at this this stage so you're really that's why you're concentrating on Finley and Calzada and just to me like I don't I'm not hearing any reason to be staunchly in the camp of one or the other I think if you're looking for paths to a good Auburn season you're hoping that they just make some timely plays and that you can run the ball down people's throats offensively because again with all these quarterbacks that we've talked about and we'll preview some more over the course of the rest of this week there's a lot of quality quarterbacks in this league, and there's just no way that Auburn comes out of this with like the fourth best quarterback in the league this year. It's just not happening. They're trying to find a way to get an average quarterback, to get the eighth best quarterback in the SEC. And if they can't even come up with that, if they do come up with the 11th, 12th best quarterback uh, or best quarterback play in the league this year, yeah, the offense is going to rank down there around 10 or 11 in the SEC, and it's going to be a path to a disappointing season because there's so many teams that do have more figured out offensively than Auburn does. We'll certainly see as we get closer to the start of the football season. Again, 18 days and counting from the start of the Tigers year. Friday, they've got another scrimmage coming up. We've got to take a break. We've got to get to more SEC previews. But before we do that, let's celebrate birthdays. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. Birthdays in Sports here today, August 16th, 2022. Candace Dupree is turning 38 years old. She is a former WNBA forward. Dupree played basketball at Temple from 2002 to 2006. She won numerous awards and accolades as a college basketball player, drawing comparisons to the Tim Duncan. She was drafted sixth overall in 2006 by the Chicago Sky in 2012. While with the Phoenix Mercury, she won her first WNBA championship, a seven-time All-Star. Candice Dupree is turning 38 years old today. Happy birthday. You Darvish is turning 36, a pitcher for the San Diego Padres. Darvish was born in Japan and began playing baseball in second grade. In 2005, he began playing professionally in Japan and was a two-time Pacific League MVP as well as a five-time All-Star. In 2012, Yu Darvish came to America, signing with the Texas Rangers. In his MLB career, Darvish is a five-time All-Star, one-time National League wins leader, one-time AL strikeout leader and one time all MLB you Darvish is 36 years old today how's he going to be remembered when he retires uh you know I think he's had a time all-star I think he's had a good career you know I think people have maybe forgotten about him a little bit yeah and I certainly to be that old already I mean the career is, is already winding down I think he did fine. You know, not every pitcher that gets hyped is going to – same thing as position player. Not every pitcher that's going to get hyped is going to be the best in the league. He, he's he been really good, you know, and I don't remember exactly if he was supposed to be the very best or one of the best. But when you're five-time All-Star, I know he's perennially been a great strikeout pitcher. I think he's going to be remembered as a quality pitcher. People might be a little disappointed that he wasn't the guy. 
but he's had a good career. You Darvish, 36 years old today. Trey Flowers is turning 29, a free agent NFL linebacker. Three-star out of Huntsville, Alabama. He signed with Arkansas. Flowers played four years at Arkansas, playing in every game and starting for three seasons. As a senior in 2014, a second-team All-SEC selection taken in the fourth round of the 2015 draft by the New England Patriots. While with the Patriots, he was a two-time Super Bowl champion. Trey Flowers is turning 29 years old today. You like that guy, Brooks? Yeah, he's pretty cool. Currently a free agent. We'll see who picks him up. Candace Dupree is 38. Hugh Darvish turns 36 today. And Trey Flowers is 29. That is a look at our birthdays in sports here today on the program. Let's take a quick timeout. When we come back, more Sports Call. Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Hope that everybody is doing well. Got a few minutes left here in our number two of Sports Call. We've got Kyle Petty joining us in the third hour. He's got a new book out, Swerve or Die, The First Family of Racing. We talk about that with Kyle Petty in the final hour of today's program. Let's keep our SEC preview going. Let's talk Georgia Bulldogs football ahead of their 2022 season. The reigning national champions. When you look at this team, Brooks, what jumps out to you with Georgia? Um, Their size, their athleticism, they're going to run through the East. That's what jumps out to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an impressive group again. Like, there's there's not much that you could say that wouldn't, you know, that's not already been said about this Georgia team. Seven returning offensive starters. The biggest difference is you've got a, a, only three defensive starters returning, but. All of the guys that you you know you read on this list of guys that are going to be the new the quote unquote new guys got playing time last year, and so it's yes, there's only three defensive starters returning, and it's like oh that, that's a wild number to think about that only three guys that start that were starters last year returning from this national championship defense, but they all got playing time. They're all you know guys that are uh, you know most of them are upperclassmen. And so they know, like they know how to play in this this team, and uh, it, it's it's not gonna they're not gonna miss that much of a step. Maybe here or there you've got a little bit of a dip. Obviously, you know you got some really high draft picks that some of these guys aren't gonna be able to fill the shoes quite, you know, right out of the gates. But it's it's just a it, it's a really talented group of uh, group of players over there in Athens. Stetson Bennett returns starting quarterback, um, and you know you you look at this team. Much like uh, much like a lot of the teams that we've pointed out, they've lost a couple of offensive weapons. They lost their two leading rushers uh, on the on, from running backs on the receiving side of the ball. You lost your second rec- uh, leading receiver, but 
three of your top four guys that led you in pass, in uh, receiving yards last year, including your really, really all-star tight end, uh, Brock Bowers, is back. And that's just an absolutely... Um, He's a tank. That That's how I would describe him, is, is, is he's a tank. I mean, it's... He, he's the one of the X factors on that offense. I mean, if you look at this team and you say they're, you know, if you say they win less than eleven games, uh, I ask you what what have you been drinking? And it, because this team, you know, you look at their their schedule, it really plays out well for them as it normally does playing in the uh, in the SEC East. But there's not a lot here. Maybe catch them right out the gate with that Oregon game but who knows what the Oregon offense is going to look like this year but it's a, it's just going to be another dominating Georgia team if they make can they make it back to the national title is really what the big question is for this Georgia team this year yeah but the good news for them is they, they have done it so now the questions don't have to swirl every year for them uh, can they get over the hump can it you know 40 years etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, you know part of the the schedule thing is you know the East is weaker than the West, but I always said this because people would seem to complain about Alabama schedule sometimes. And, oh, they caught a break this year. You know, well, you know why Alabama schedule is not as tough as the others in the SEC Western Division? Because they don't have to play Alabama. And same thing for the East teams. Uh, you know, when you're Georgia, you are the toughest team to play in that division. So they don't play themselves, and therefore it seems like the rest of their schedule is, is far easier because they don't have to play themselves. That's what makes some of these other schedules really difficult. Um, their West teams uh, are a pretty favorable draw. Obviously, they will always play Auburn, at least under this scheduling model. But then Mississippi State is a team that I, I don't think will do much confusing of Kirby Smart's defense Uh but be be interesting to see if state can block them up front you know i guess also state tries to get rid of the ball so quickly so i don't know there's, there's some weird schematics there that'd be interesting to see but georgia shouldn't have a problem with that um obviously georgia tech is well behind right now tech has not been a threat to them for several years now and the oregon game is about as tough as it gets for them um they will be familiar with bo Nix, obviously uh, that Dan Lanning will have familiar. There's just going to be a lot of familiar familiar elements to that. I think it's also the time you'd want to play Georgia because, in theory, if they're trying to work through some things with uh, with new starters and that sort of thing, you would tend to think that you'd want to play them at the beginning of the year. Uh, you look at the other first half of their schedule. Really, the the only road game they or the only two road games in the first half of the schedule are at South Carolina, at Missouri. Missouri doesn't shouldn't scare them at all. At South Carolina, eh, Spencer Rattler, maybe he can have an all-world game. But uh, Georgia will not be as dominant as they were defensively last year because I don't think we'll see that again for a long time. They gave up 10 points a game, and in this day and age of, of college football, that's insanely difficult to do. You, you give up 24 on accident sometimes, it feels like. So uh, that, that um, was an impressive feat that they will not match to that degree this year. But – I think Kirby Smart has earned the reputation and the right to automatically assume that their defense is going to be one of the best in the country, period. It might not be the very best each year, but it is going to be up there. Even with all the new starters they have, the couple guys that we know they do have that were started last year, like Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo, I mean, they're still just excellent football players. So uh, they're, I, I think the, the, the thing to watch for Georgia this year, because I do just expect a baseline bit of, of excellence to their defense is what does Stetson Bennett do? Uh, does he 
seem like a confident, consistent contributor to the football team, or does he still look like the perceived weak link? And look, he had to step up in the national championship game last year. Uh, he is not a bad quarterback, but still, the jury is clearly out on to what degree is he good? Is he just kind of good? Is he pretty good? Is he is he is he fairly good? Is he really good? Um, that is what he's going to be trying to answer this year, and I think that w- that will go a long way into saying if they'll be able to beat Alabama again this year and and try and, and win that second in a row because, I, like I said, I don't think their def- defense will be dominant this year. I think it'll be really good. It'll be probably top five in the country, but that makes it that makes there be room for other defenses to be as good. And so, therefore, offensively, can they take another step uh, with new running backs and George Pickens gone? In another year of Stetson Bennett, can they can they take a step to where if there's a game or two that they need to have big offensive outputs, can they reliably do that? So that that's my biggest question with Georgia. But yeah, I think beyond that Oregon game, there's just not a lot that scares me on that schedule. Because even when we get to the very end at Kentucky, like Kentucky might finish second or third in the East, and Tennessee would be the other one. Georgia gets Tennessee at home this year. The, the talent gap is so vast. The amount of coaching and precision that Kentucky would have to have to beat Georgia, even at Kroger Field, it just, I'm sorry, I just don't see that. I just think the gap is too. Georgia would have to play its C minus game and Kentucky its A game. And, and I just, and that's no disrespect to Kentucky. Um, that's no disrespect to anything that they built and what could be the second best team in the East this year if they're able to beat Tennessee. It's just, when there's that big of a talent gap, I just don't think anything – and by the way, Kirby Smart's a good coach too, but I don't think there's anything coaching-wise that you can make that big of a gain on someone, especially someone's won a national title and has been uh, very good for the last few years. So, I, you know, I, I don't see Georgia having down here. As you said, Brooks, is there a loss somewhere? I guess maybe, maybe very first game at Oregon, but uh, I just don't see anything lower than 11-1 and one out of Georgia this year. Two fun stats, I say they're fun, not for opponents, uh, that I, I just found in here. Under Kirby Smart, Georgia is 24-2 and two against non-conference foes. And then entering 2022, since 2017, Georgia is 28-1 and at home. Their last home loss was 2019 uh, double overtime versus South Carolina. That is a lot of wins in a very, very short amount of time. And you look at that Georgia, uh, you, were, you were talking about their schedule. They only played four true road games this year. Like you, you said, the first part of the season, South Carolina at Missouri, at Mississippi State, at uh, Kentucky, you've got two neutral site games, which one is actually a true neutral site with the Florida game. The other one, you could just say it's Sanford Stadium southwest because <laughs> yeah. it's Atlanta. And then everything else is at home. And so when you look at that home schedule, as I said, 28-1 since 2017 at home, that, that's very, very daunting, especially even though you've got some difficult games that could be at home. Well, and I alluded to, you know Tennessee and Kentucky as the two prospective number two and number three teams in that division the reason I would want Tennessee if, if you had regardless of how Tennessee and Kentucky finish if it would be more compelling if Tennessee got to host Georgia because I give you this stat Tennessee and this is going to sound kind of ridiculous because it's still just 17 points but with 17 points last year Tennessee scored the most points on Georgia than anyone not named Alabama Alabama scored 18 in the national championship game. They scored 41 and really drove up that average 
points per game right there. They scored 41 in the SEC title game when they won. So Tennessee, if they were at home, given they have real talent, given their offense is for real, could they catch Georgia in a bind on the road? Maybe. You could talk me into that. But in Athens, where you just said they've got one loss in like the last five years, you, I, have a, I have trouble trying to talk myself into that. So, again, a good outlook for Georgia this year. We've got to take a break. We've reached the end of hour number two here on Sports Call today. The Georgia Bulldogs open up their season again September 3rd, taking on Bo Nix and the Oregon Ducks at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Two hours of Sports Call have come to a close. One left to go. Alongside Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy, my name is J.J. Jackson. Two hours of the Bucks, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy. We hope that everyone is doing well on this Tuesday. Two hours are done. The show has flown by so far, and we want to say thank you to each and every one of our callers who have given us a ring on the Auburn Bank phone line to say hello to us and talk about whatever they've got going on in their mind sports-wise. All right, as we get set to go in this final hour of the program, here is your Daily Show Recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. (sighs) Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? All right, it's our Daily Show Recap. Brooks, what has been accomplished on the show so far today? Um, well, usually I could say not a lot, but we have gotten a lot done today. Uh, we've, of course, given you our birthdays in sports a little bit earlier. We've had some great phone calls this afternoon. James, uh, Steve, we've had Anthony uh, come is back on the program. I know he started calling back uh, last week or the week before, but he was back. Uh, and then we also had... Terry, he's Terry. been a part of the show. Uh, yeah. uh, Ryan was trying to mouth something to me, and I couldn't tell what he was saying. I was mouthing Terry. Ah, uh, Terry's called in as well, so we had some great phone calls. Still more room for other great phone calls this afternoon. We had Ben Ingram from the Braves Radio Network on the air earlier today. If you missed that interview, Sports Call podcast feed is where you can find it. And on top of all that, we've previewed, uh, continue our SEC previews with the Georgia Bulldogs. Would you consider yourself a good lip reader? No, yeah. as, as just demonstrated. He usually... Re- oh, my God. It's usually okay. He's usually able to uh, do it pretty well, I think. Yeah. 
We'll have to well, try. I, I, I want to have a test someday. Rules. You know, obviously not on the radio show because that would be absolutely horrible uh, to listen to. Not good product at all. But that piqued my interest there a moment. All right, here we go. Kyle Petty is going to join our show here in just a little bit to talk about his new book coming out, Swerve or Die. And uh, we'll chat with him in just a little bit. But for now, fellas, let's talk about the LSU Tigers as they get set for the first year of the Brian Kelly era. We talked a little bit about LSU yesterday. Miles Brennan has decided to walk away from football altogether as it looks as though he will not be one of the quarterbacks to start for LSU this upcoming football season. It is a brand new era for LSU football this year. Brian Kelly taking over. Jaden Daniels is coming in to play quarterback from Arizona State. So, Brooks, when you look at LSU in the year 2022, what do you think? Um, a, a below average team uh, is what I, what I think. You look at this team, and I know, you know, Miles Brennan was a guy that was in that uh, competition to be the starter, but, you know, we've talked about it off the air a little bit. Y'all, you guys talked about it on the air yesterday. It seemed like it was trending toward Jaden Daniels, and this kind of more solidifies it. So, Jaden Daniels uh, is going to be the starter. Looks like he's going to be the starter there. A um, couple things, you know, you, you look at this LSU team, they've got talent. And you, you saw them kind of fall off last year uh, once you hit that uh, that Auburn game, really. Right after that Auburn game, you kind of fell off there. You lost at Kentucky. You got a win at, uh, against Florida. And then you lost to Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas. And then rebounded right there at the very end and won your last two. But still finishing up with a 6-7 and seven record on the year with that uh, loss in the Texas Bowl to Kansas State. It, it's a team that's got talent. I think and I've said it on this uh, uh, during these previews before. Uh, I think Brian Kelly's got a ways to go. I think he's he's a guy that can come in and and rebuild this program. You've got six returning offensive starters. You've got five returning defensive starters with, with an LSU team that usually has a pretty decent defense. You're replacing about half of the, your starters there, and so I think that could be a problem this year. I picked them. I think in our you know we all got to fill out the uh, the polls at SEC Media Days for projected order finish. I said LSU was going to finish last in the SEC West uh, was on my ballot, and I think you know and. Th- they're a team that can finish anywhere between that second and third or third spot to the last spot because that's what the SEC West looks like it could be this year. Um, a fun fun note I was reading here: uh, the first four games of the season, they play Florida State, New Orleans, and they play Southern Mississippi State, New Mexico at home. This is the first time since 1999 that LSU will not leave the state of Louisiana in the month of September, which is a really, really positive when you're trying to get this season started on the right foot, that you're going to have a another game. When you talked about the Georgia game, you can't really call an Atlanta game a neutral site game for them. You can't really call a New Orleans game a neutral site game for LSU because that place is going to be packed out in purple and gold. Yeah. Um, and then you get you know three teams to start off with. You should beat Southern. You should beat New Mexico just because you've got the better talent. That Mississippi State game, you know, if if you get a good a good start here and you can pull out a win against Florida State, a Florida State team that we don't know what they'll they'll look like this early this year, um, you've got a chance to win that Mississippi State game and go into that Auburn game undefeated. But then that's when it starts to get a little bit of Harry because you got to go on the road to Auburn you then host Tennessee at Florida Ole Miss and then you just don't know what the rest of your schedule you know that can play out probably not a lot of wins there and if so you do win it's going to be very very close that you pull it out I you know I, I wouldn't. I would not be shocked to see them in a bowl game, uh, but I would not be also be shocked to see them miss out on a bowl by like one game. I, I think that this this LSU team's got the talent on it that they can win some football games. But I, I think for Brian Kelly and this LSU team, I think they're a year away 
from putting everything that they need in place. You've seen him do it at Notre Dame. You've seen him do it at Cincinnati. Comes in, rebuilds it. It takes about a year or two to get that team set and where he wants it to be to go forward. I think the same way here. you got about a year, maybe two years before they are at a point where they're competing for SEC West titles again. Yeah, I, I think LSU starts the year is really interesting because for as we, we, we talked about everyone's start of the year, and we usually don't talk about big programs as much because it's kind of like a given they're going to start with a good record. But LSU, since they're predicted more towards the bottom of the league, trying to scratch out six, seven wins, that first four is important when you look at Florida State and Mississippi State. In particular, those are teams that are going to be on their level this year. And Florida State's been a program struggling for several years now. They've just not righted the ship there. So for LSU's perspective, they hope they don't right the ship this year. Mississippi State, I, you know, I when I think about them and their relationships to LSU, I kind of use it as a guide to what Auburn can be against Mississippi State this year. If you'll remember, 2020, it was Mike Leach's very first game in the SEC, and LSU was coming off their national championship. And Mississippi State threw it all over the yard on LSU in Tiger Stadium and beat them. They just they just skewered them, kind of how Mississippi State did Auburn after Auburn got up 28-3, skewered Auburn in the second half last year. Well, last year, LSU learned from their mistakes. They went to Starkville and they won 28-25, a pretty lo- fairly low-scoring game by, by this day and age of standards. But they were able to correct their mistakes and they won. And that's kind of what I think Auburn fans should hope for and look towards beating Mississippi State this year is figuring out what absolutely not to do. You, you can't let them have you, you know several seconds to throw. You can't drop seven and eight in coverage you have to bring five at least and so as you figure that out they corrected it they won last year anyway they need to have part two of that they need to continue that defensive plan they've got really good guys up front it would be tempting to rely on three or four guys they got Allie gay bj ojalari those are all sec caliber guys but they need to start four no because after that you then you just get into the weeds of like who is who and what teams are going down what paths and you have that at auburn game and that's the game i think auburn should feel really good about because it is in auburn lsu hosts tennessee who could be number two in the east they're at florida who that will be the matchup of talented teams that are needing a new direction they're going to be very similar talent wise who's winning year one billy napier or Brian Kelly, who's doing a better job imprinting themselves in that program. That's going to be a test of that will. You got Ole Miss, Alabama at Arkansas. UAB should be the break there towards the end. And then you have at Texas A&M. It's just it's a schedule that when you're comparing all the SEC matchups, like Mississippi State in Tiger Stadium is like the one you feel like you got to win if you're LSU. And you'll find another one here and there because you're very talented. Surely you will not go 4-8. and eight, But... Again, you have to find something else in the rest of the schedule. And with the news that Miles Brennan is out, or with Miles Brennan being out from last year, and now that you've whittled down the quarterback battle to Jane Daniels, assuming the guy, I guess Nussmeyer will be the backup now. Look, you, 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 you at this point, you've got to say that you've got a coach with a really good track record of developing, and you've got a lot of talent. 
but you've got to say it just doesn't work like that in year one because this is not the talent that he got for his system and maybe he can maybe he can do it quicker you know but but the reality is that these things don't happen overnight most of the time despite brian kelly being a good coach despite the fact lsu does have probably i don't know probably top five talent in the sec still you know after alabama and georgia probably a&m three you know would you consider lsu four would you consider florida four or five i mean you'd still consider those schools despite disappointing years last year they've recruited really well and talent is basically just the accruing of of uh of great talented recruits you know i mean to some level and and transfer portal guys which lsu has lost some of but you know it's just one of those things where you're relying you're banking on lsu needing a multi-year turnaround not a one-year turnaround and with brian kelly although i i think he is a great developer he's just so different i don't think they can expect to have that boom here this year and therefore that puts them down towards the bottom of the sec but look it's that's what just makes it hard to predict because if you're just going on talent alone they're more talented than both mississippi schools they're more talented than arkansas and they're more talented than auburn to be quite frank but it's just that they have a learning curve that is going to be steeper because these other schools have all had their coach there multiple years especially mississippi's and arkansas brian harson in his second year you know brian harson needs to be ahead of brian kelly uh this year auburn needs to win that game so uh, it's it they're they're very interesting because you just don't have talented programs that far in the dumps the way they were after last year and just everything that Ed Orgeron ended up being ultimately after the national championship that they had. Um, it's just it's just an interesting scenario you don't see too often. Uh, remember, different terms. Les Miles, Les Miles, Les Miles wasn't a six and six guy. He was perennially nine wins. It's yeah. just that you got tired of that eventually at LSU. That you couldn't break free and you couldn't win many conference championships and that sort of thing. So this is a new animal for them to be six and six and then uh, lose a bowl game and, and have a losing record. This doesn't happen. So uh, I, I'd be looking very interestingly at their at their season. Uh, but I think ultimately, you've, I, I just lean the way of Kelly is going to have a little bit too much of a learning curve for them to take advantage of their talent. They're going to have to continue to recruit it, build it over the course of a couple of years before, uh, and develop that talent rather than make all world games with the talent they already have. We mentioned a little bit earlier that Auburn football is 18 days away from their first game of the season. LSU is 19 days away from their season getting started. They will play on Sunday, September 4th, the night before Labor Day. It's a big one. LSU, Louisiana State University versus Florida State University from the Superdome in New Orleans. What a fun matchup that's going to be. Florida State, a really interesting team in the ACC see mike norvell has been there in tallahassee for a few seasons what does florida state football look like this season that's a fun question to sit and ponder as well and that's going to be the first measuring stick for lsu this season yeah and florida state needs a year this year i mean they have not been the same uh, since Jimbo Fisher was there. And reminder that it was even going downhill in Jimbo's last year at Florida State. So it's been a while since they've realized uh, any sort of, of success at Florida State. Uh, Mike Norvell now getting his, uh, I think it's his third season at Florida State. 
and a couple of losing records to start off with. Uh, five and seven last year was more competitive than the ACC at, at four and four. But the reality is Florida State's got to get this thing going. And, and they had a, a troublesome time with Willie Taggart. They're having a troublesome time now with Mike Norvell. And, look, it, the money can fall pretty quickly after a decades of, of success with Bobby Bowden. Uh, and then several, uh, you know, a handful of years of success with Jimbo Fisher. I mean, Fisher did a good job for them. That's why Fisher was able to get just a huge deal uh, from Texas A&M as a coveted guy. Jimbo Fisher at, at Florida State was 83-23. and 23. <laughs> like, That was damn good. That'll work. Florida State would yearn for that. Until his 5-6 and six season in 2017, he'd won nine, or games, nine games or more every year and 10 games or more all but one of the years. It was 9-4 and four in his second year. Otherwise, 10, 9, 12, 14, 13, 10, and 10 were the win totals for Florida State under Jimbo Fisher. So he had succeeded there and give, gave them a worthy follow-up to Bobby Bowden. But since 2017 and really including 2017 the last year fisher florida state has just not it's not even that's not been the same it's just it's not even been close that's i think what's so jarring about it it's not been seven or eight wins it's just not been good period they're missing bowl games uh so that's what's been so confusing and you think that hey there could be a year where they you know there could be a year where they really come up and have a nice year but um that's that game is interesting. That's a tone setter for both teams. Uh, Florida State's tone setting is much more urgent because of their coach's situation and now his third year. But nevertheless, if LSU wants to fight off any possibility of them missing a bowl game, they need to start strong. They need to beat Florida State. So uh, it, it's a interesting pro, interesting game between two programs that usually house a lot of talent and have housed a lot of success here in recent decades, but are right now not in very good places. You're one for Brian Kelly taking over the LSU program. It is right around the corner, 19 days away from the start of their football season. We got to take a timeout when we come back. Kyle Petty will be on Sports Call to talk about his new book. How big of a deal is this, Ryan, for a guy like Kyle Petty to be on Sports Call, a name you might be familiar with? How excited are we for this? Big deal. I mean, Kyle Petty been on uh, been in NASCAR world for a long time. I mean, I remember him you as a driver. You could argue since he was born. Yeah, since I was born, pretty much. Right. Yeah, but uh, long NASCAR career, obviously the son of Richard Petty and – He's a, he's a fun fun guy to listen to. And I was going to argue, you could argue he's been in the NASCAR world since he was even born. Yes. Being born into a family, yes. you know, Richard a long time. Richard yes. at, uh, at 62 years old, Kyle Petty set to join the program right after this. Good conversation coming your way. Here as you're listening to the Abbey Award-winning sports talk show, this is Sports Call, WTGZ, Tiger, 95.9 FM. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back into Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. And we are so excited today to be joined by Kyle Petty. He's got a new book coming out, Swerve or Die, Life at My Speed in the First Family of NASCAR Racing. And Kyle Petty is now joining us here today on the Plains. The time is greatly appreciated. How are you today, Kyle? I'm doing great. How are you? Very well. Thank you for asking. Look, we got a lot of racing to talk about, but I want to start here local. I've, I'm curious. You've had a number of different events in Talladega throughout your racing lifetime here in the state of Alabama, but has Auburn, Alabama ever popped up in your radar? Have you ever been to a football game before? What is Kyle Petty's or your family's experience with the Auburn Tigers over the years? My experience with the Auburn Tigers is stay away from Alabama during college football season. <laughs> That's a good place to start for sure. That's I've a good... been through Auburn. To be honest with you, I don't think I've ever been through Auburn. You got to change that at some point. It's it's a lovely spot for sure. And college football, I know, obviously coincides with the end of the year for NASCAR racing and that sort of thing. But uh, we'll have to change that. All right, let's get into the book. What made you want to wait write? A minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a yeah. minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that an invite? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That's all I needed. That's you, all I needed. That's all I needed. I'm there. I'm our there. guests to the football games, you could see the eagle flight before it gets going and that sort of thing. Absolutely. All right, man. All right. Hey, so why write the book? Why, why did you want to tell the stories in the book? You know what? I, I, I've just been around this sport, people, and Dale Jr. And, and Jeff Burton and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and they said, man, you, you didn't just grow up with Richard Petty after reading the book. They said, you grew up with David Pearson and Buddy Baker and Kel Yarborough and the Allisons. And I said, yeah, and and because that that's just that's who I grew up with going to the racetrack, and you know, so many times we'll be sitting around talking, and I got a story about this or a story about that, and somebody will say, man, you need to write that stuff down, and I just never thought about writing it down, and then the pandemic comes along, and you can't go anywhere, and you can't do anything, and you're trapped inside your house, and you know, you just had so much time, and I think that's what that's what writing a book or or doing something like this takes is just time and taking time off, and. I'm married. Morgan and I are married and have three little boys now. Started a new life. I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a and a month and a half. A little boy that's a month and a half old. So I think it was something to leave something for them too. So it was a little bit of of all of that. And, and Kyle, obviously, uh, with your name and, and the family that you grew up in, third-generation driver. I mean, I, I assume that there are a lot of things that, even as public as Richard Petty was, as public as your family has been, that there's a lot of stories in here, uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff, if you will, that that I think people will be really interested in. Yeah, you know, there, there really are, uh, honestly, because um, you know, just growing up with my dad, growing up with my granddad. My granddad started. Really- very first NASCAR race uh, and, and drove. And, you know, it's funny. We're headed to Watkins Glen this weekend, and there's a petty car in the race. And there has been since uh, since the inception of the sport. And that that's kind of it. There's so many things about you know, when I started racing. And my granddad went with me when my dad started racing and, and some of those stories. And uh, my dad showing me how to get around Daytona and, and things like that that really, you know, have, have kind of been told in, in private circles and then in some circles. But really hadn't been out there. My Uncle Randy that was killed in Talladega. Um, you know, his story a little bit. And, and never really gets touched on a lot in the sport. So I, I just think there's there's things in there that are personal. Uh, and there's things in there like Michael Waltrip's stinky tennis shoes that I really don't care if the world knows about or not. I just threw it out there and let them let them make of it what they want to. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So uh, it's a combination of a lot of different tales that, that weave its way through it. 
And, and you mentioned some serious stuff in there, some some funny stuff. What was the most enjoyable part for you uh, to, to, to kind of recount? You know, I, I think I, honestly, I think some of the stuff with fans. Listen, fans are fantastic, man. You get and then it, it, just the things they say, the things they do. Uh, their level of dedication to this sport is just phenomenal. Um, but I, some of those stories were fun. Uh, reliving my time with my dad going to Daytona that first time. It's been a long time since I'd really thought about crawling in that car and him giving me a ride at 193 miles an hour. Um, that, that brought back a lot of memories. But I think when when I looked at it, uh, there were there were a lot of it that was just it was fun to put down and fun to reread uh, and fun to relive. So there it, it, there were some bright spots in it. Kyle, it, it goes. Uh, you read the book description, everything. It says there's some juicy stories in here from some of the sport's biggest names. Can you give the folks out there a little bit of a teaser of one of those? I'm not. I'm not sure what juicy means. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's just one of those things you use to sell a book. Uh, to be honest, honestly, there's not really. You know, there's not really that much uh, of of that kind of stuff. You know, there's there's some stuff that that we did with Sterling and some stuff like that, that that's in there. But I don't look at that stuff being juicy, man. Uh, it, it's not like it's not like we're changing the world. We're just riding around in circles on a Sunday afternoon. Okay, so that that's about as juicy as it gets. Hitting a wall and going to the hospital is about as juicy as it gets. So there's some stuff in there, but you know, right off the top of my head, honestly, I can't. I, it's, every time I do an interview, somebody who's read it will bring up a story, and I'm like, man, I shouldn't have put that in there. I can't believe I put that in there, and because it's been so long, you know, since I really read it. Um, that that it's been you know six months seven months since I've really reread the thing I've almost forgotten what's in it. And then Kyle, you mentioned you know going around in circles there, and I know that the NASCAR is a lot more than just turning left every uh, every couple feet and or every couple uh, miles. But uh, wanted to get your take. You know everybody knows Talladega, Daytona, Watkins Glen, Fontana. Everyone knows the big tracks. What has been your favorite over your racing career? Smaller track that not as many people would know about. That's not on the main NASCAR circuit that you enjoyed racing at. You know what? I, I, there's there's a lot. Um, North Wilkesboro. I love North Wilkesboro. You know, and, and Dale Jr. and those guys have done a lot to bring it back. They're going to start running some late model cars there. Uh, but it's just set dormant for so many years. Rockingham is a mile racetrack uh, that we used to go to. Nashville Fairgrounds. God, man, I love Nashville Fairgrounds. And I know they race in Nashville, but, but the Fairgrounds was just a great place uh, for the Cup Series to go. Um, and, and, you know, there were the, the old Richmond racetrack. I know we just raced at Richmond, but the racetrack that was there before this one, well, it was a fun place. So I think there's there's places like that we've run uh, that that I ran on, my dad ran on, and um, and that's about it. You know, the, the the generation that races now they never saw it. So for me, those are fun places. Listen, running BIR, running some of those places just in a auto car. Uh, there's a million short tracks across the country that were a, were a blast to run and were just as much fun as running Daytona or Talladega or Watkins Glen or any of those tracks. And Kyle, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because obviously you you ran in a lot of tracks that are no longer on the schedule, or at least some really historic tracks. And uh, it, it feels like NASCAR is trying a lot of different things here in the last couple of years. Do, do you remember NASCAR ever uh, going all in this much on trying to change up the schedule and the types of tracks that they race at? No, no. There's there's never been a time. The only time that we've ever ever seen stuff like this is when you know they built. Charlotte. They built Atlanta. They built Talladega. Uh, you know, build it and they will come. And that's that's when there was expansion in the sport because you had to have a facility. Uh, I think what we're seeing now is you can take like the L.A. Coliseum and like the streets of Chicago and turn it into a facility. 
And I, I don't think NASCAR ever looked at it that way. Uh, and I think this car, the brand new car that they're running this year, um, is, is, has afforded them those options. Uh, I don't think we had those options with the old car. I don't think the old car would have put on a show. I don't think the old car would have been a good race. I, I think we would have fallen flat on our face. But I think with this car and with the drivers we have, the, the stakeholders we have in the sport now, the partners, the sponsors, I, I think you look at it and you say, yeah, these, these are places we need to be. So I think NASCAR is the L.A. Coliseum. And we, we don't get close to L.A. You go to Southern California, but we didn't get close to L.A. We go to Northern California, uh, and that's it. But you looked at the, the demographics uh, at, at the, the Hispanic market, uh, at the black market in, in L.A., and you say, we took our sport to them. And they came out and saw it. And they came out and enjoyed it. Uh, and that's it. If you can't come to our sport, I think NASCAR's in a place right now where we're going to go to different demographics. We're going to take our sport to different people. And we're going to show people what this sport is. And, and Kyle, you mentioned the new car. And I want to talk about that with you for, for just a moment. Because NASCAR is unique because, obviously, it, the whole what you the tool of what you race in changes every so often and there's really no other sport where they don't change the bats every so often in, in baseball they don't change the football uh in, in football but with this new car um what I, i've heard a lot of great things about it. it it seems like it races well um but but are there any things that you would like to see about it that are are better because i i know that for example uh in the past you could take the air off the, the car in front of you now it's the opposite. The car loses the air if it's closely following another car. So is that something you like about the car? You know, there's, there's not – I like everything about the car. I think there's, there's always going to be – listen, nobody goes to a dealership. The, guy, the, the people listening to this radio station, they don't go to the dealership and get the perfect car. They get as close to perfect as they can get. You know what I mean? They might not get the right color. They might not get the right radio. They might not get the options they want. But it's close. But it's close, man. It's as close to a perfect car for them, and that's what our cars are. They're as close to, to the car we need at this point in time. I, I think there's things, as we look at it, um, so far this year, and we had this conversation this week after Richmond, it, it's not short track racing has not been as good with this car. They're going to make, make adjustments, and I'm sure there will be adjustments by the time we come out next year and race to our short track package. You know, used to we used to have a speedway package only at Daytona and Talladega. That's the only place you run certain rules. I'm sure next year we're going to have rules we only run on a half-mile racetrack or a three-quarter or a mile racetrack to make the race better. So I think this is our first first shot at it. This is our first first look at it, our first first really effort at, at building this car. And I think there are things, uh, but the sequential shift, man, the five-speed transmission and downshifting in the corners, even on an oval track, uh, the independent rear suspension, the rack and pinion, so many different things about this car uh, just basically took it from 1964 to 2022 uh, and really advanced what racing was. So I think there's so many positives that uh, that the negatives or the things that we look at as being negatives, I don't really think they are, uh, are just minor issues. We just got to work through them and, and listen, we're, what, two-thirds of the way through the season with it, so there's no need to change it yet. Uh, you know, you, you need to let it ride for a year and see where it goes two-thirds of the way through the season. I want to get your take on that season. It's been a very exciting one. You have so many different race winners. You're coming down the stretch here heading toward the NASCAR playoffs here at the end of the month. What, what has been your take on the season so far, Kyle? Crazy. 
crazy. There, there is no take. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, we've had 23 races, 15 different winners, and, and I argue every week that we've had really had 16 because I think the fans have been a winner this year. Uh, we've never had a season where you've had this many winners. If we go back with with Earnhardt and Gordon and Jimmy and guys like that and go all the way back to my dad and Pearson, you had six or seven winners a season. I mean, these guys were winning seven, eight races a season. Um, and people call that good racing, and it was good racing. It was different racing also. Now we have a different kind of racing, different form. Two or three wins a year is a big year. It's going to be a big year from now on out because there's so many competitive teams. So I think this car has leveled the playing field um, because everybody had to start from ground zero. Everybody started from scratch. Um, you know, it, it's listen, you're, you're in football country. It, it would be like everybody starting every year with, with straight freshmen and just having to teach them yeah. and, and go again. And that's what it is. This is a class of freshmen. I don't care how long you've been there. It's a class of freshmen just learning the playbook, just learning how to do it and, and how to play the sport. And there's mistakes made by great guys. Denny Hamlin has said 31 pit road penalties this year. 31 pit road penalties, which is phenomenal. But he's just trying to figure out where he can go and how far he can stretch it. And I give him credit for that, man. I give him credit. But but I, I think everybody's learning at the same pace. So whether you're you know, a 20-year veteran or whether you're a two-race veteran, you're basically starting at the same place. You're starting with a steering wheel and four tires. Kyle Petty is our guest here today on Sports Call. A book is out now, Swerve or Die, Life at My Speed in the First Family of NASCAR Racing. Just a few more with you, Kyle. You're so far kind with your time, and we certainly appreciate the visit here on the program. You mentioned a lot of the older drivers that the sport is seeing right now and a lot of guys that are still uh, at the top. What about the end, though, when a career comes to a close for a lot of these guys and reflecting on even your own career in a sport like NASCAR, how do you know when it's time to watch? walk away we talk about football all the time and you could clearly see the body out there on the field each and every saturday or sunday but in a sport like nascar how do you know when it's time to walk away you know what that that that's probably you know the 390 billion dollar question whatever the law <laughs> um you know because the thing is i don't think you do know i think everybody stays too long everybody stays too long um you know my dad stayed too long bobby stayed too long um, you know, just so many people stay because they get that one extra win. Jeff Gordon, you know, he, he just struggled for a while. And then he got that one win, that one win. And that made all those years of not winning. Yeah, we're, we're looking at Kevin Harvick, who's 46, who just came off a 60-some-odd race uh, winless streak. And he's won two in a row. So it's like during that period of time, any time he could have said, you know, it's time, it's time. But he's put two more wins in the book since then. So you keep hanging on, and that's the deal. I think – Everybody, everybody thinks they can be that same old good, that same old song. I'm as good once as I ever was. You know what I mean? And, and that's kind of what you keep shooting for. And one day you wake up and you realize, okay, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna attain that again. And most of the time, you're four or five years past that. I think we're we're seeing guys now in our sport, like Bobby Allison and my dad and those guys. They drove to their early 50s. We're seeing guys now that are going to start retiring in their early 40s. Um, you know, whether it's whether it's uh, the guys that are coming along like Kyle Larson, like Kyle Busch, guys like that will start looking at the sport a little bit different and say, you know, I've been here already for 20-some years, and uh, it's time to move on. But I think you just, you know it. You just won't admit it. And I, I think great athletes never admit uh, to, to them. They don't want to admit to the competition, and they're dang sure not going to admit to themselves 
that they've lost a quarter step or a half step. And that's the way race car drivers are the same way. They're probably the most hard-headed group of athletes you've ever run across uh, because they feel like they can sit in that car and they can drive with, with any of them. I did it with David Pearson when he was 72 years old, and I asked him if he thought in his prime he could run with Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart and guys like that. He never skipped a beat. He said, it's not whether they could run with me or whether I could run with them. It's whether they could run with me. And he said, i tell you something right now, Kyle. I'm 72. He said, I could beat them for five laps anywhere they want to run. <laughs> and he believed that. At 72 years old, he believed that. And that's the way drivers are. Kyle, i got to ask you about something a couple weeks ago. Uh, and you probably already know where I'm going. Um, your coworker, Dale Hart Jr., his podcast, um, Mike Davis and him getting a little bit of a spat. And uh, and uh, Mike brings you up, and Dale says, "What the f does Kyle Petty got to do with this? Uh, where were you when you first heard about that, and how much fun have you guys had talking about that since?" So I will say this: I, you know, they, he called me, man, and he's like, "I'm," I, and he was like, "And I'm like, we're good, we're good, man." And then it started coming up on Twitter, um, and then it went crazy, and then he called me up, and he said. Let's print a T-shirt and sell it. And I said, I'm with you, buddy. Uh, so we printed a T-shirt, and I think he's sold so far. I think he sold a little over a 1,000 of them. Um, so, listen, he can use my name in vain anytime he wants to, as long as we're making cash off of it. <laughs> That's outstanding stuff. Well, like we said at the start, we're just an hour 45 drive away from Talladega. So you got to come with us to an Auburn football game, and we'll have to join you over there at the Super Speedway. How does that sound, Kyle? Anytime. It's an open invitation from my end. I can tell you that right now. We appreciate it so much. Best of luck with the success of this book, and thank you again so much for taking time to join us on the show today. Thank you for having me. And help me sell these books, man. I, I got They're in my garage. They're taking up space. I got to get rid of them. <laughs> we got you. We got you. That's Kyle Petty, Swerve or Die, Life at My Speed in the First Family of NASCAR Racing, available now wherever books are sold. This is Sports Call Tiger 95.9 FM. you want to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au want more sports call check us out online at sportscallauburn.com Found a few moments here on Sports Call today. Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Our thanks again to Kyle Petty for joining us on Sports Call. How much fun was that, guys? A lot of fun and felt like we could have gone an hour with him. No kidding. Uh, just about the book. I mean, we tried to hit a little bit of everything, what's going on in the sport right now and on his book, but could have asked him stories about his his childhood and grown up racing like I, I feel like I, I don't know like I, I, I there's so much to go through love to get Kyle on again just to ask him some general questions about like, what it's like to be Richard Petty's son I mean Kyle Petty raced for a long time uh, the best part of his career was in the 90s so I missed the best part of his career but uh, had some pretty good years there won a few races you know what was that like did 
you know, com- everyone comparing him to his dad, that sort of thing. The greatest of all time, 200 wins for his dad. And, and just, you know, also could have asked him, you know, he works with Dale Jr. Has he and, and Dale Jr. swapped stories about their dads just because, you know, there there's a lot of great families in NASCAR, but I don't think you can find two better families than the Earnhardts and the Petties. And uh, Dale Jr. and Kyle Petty are the sons of the ones that are the best known. Dale Jr. is very well known. He's the most popular driver for a long time. Kyle Petty's well known. He drove for a long time. He's been uh, commentating for a long time now. But still, the fathers were what people remember as the driver uh, of those families. So what was it like to grow up under that? And then, you know, as he's now worked with Dale Jr. for a long time, we mentioned alluded to Dale Jr. a little bit on there and uh, their relationship. And just could ask Kyle endless stories. Could ask him about what his favorite paint scheme was because I remember the Hot Wheels car around 2000 or so. It was a sick ride. Um, and the Mellow Yellow car when he drove 42 in the early 90s. So there's so many questions there, but it was a great conversation. Thanks to Kyle Petty for being on our program today. we got to get out of here today for our program. Brooks, thanks for being on the show today, man. Absolutely. Ryan, appreciate hanging out with you as well. We'll See you tomorrow. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. For my good pals, Ben Ingram and Kyle Petty joining us on the program and my co-hosts, Ryan LeBoy and Brooks Childress, I'm JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day. Good day.